After showing some fight early, the Lions were turned into pussycats by the Crows last week as we continued our push for a berth in this year's top eight. Join the panel this week as we discuss the big win, look ahead to the crunch game against the Eagles and welcome special guest Skippos to the Board Talk Grill. The Crows are marching on and we're with them all the way. This is Crowcast. Welcome guys to another edition of Crowcast. Um, tonight we're one short so far on the uh, on the panel, but hopefully Dadons might show up a little bit later. So uh, say good day to Waffle. How you going, mate? Yeah, not too bad, Phoenix. Excellent. And Nikki, you feeling a little better? I'm feeling a lot better than I was last week, but still not 100%. But the win on the weekend helped. It certainly did, and um, a bit of news during the week as well that uh, has got a few smiles on a few faces, so that's good. That kind of helps. Absolutely. All right, well, we better get into that without further ado, so we'll chuck it over to you, Nikki, for Nikki's News. Well, I haven't kind of paid too much attention, unfortunately, to the rest of the AFL just partly because of being unwell and stuff. But there has been some Masada news. Uh, We do have now a date on when the hearing is going to take place with the Court of Arbitration and Sport. It's going to be in Sydney. It's going to be in November. So we actually might get an early Christmas present um, or Essendon players might get an early Christmas present depending on how it ends up. But um, I think they said it was going to be about three weeks they thought it would take. Um, So... Fingers crossed there might be something that goes on there. We're all over it now, aren't we? <laughs> oh, we are until the off-season. Um, I think somebody did come up with a point, though, as to what on earth is St Kilda going to come up with in the off-season to try and take um, the focus away from the wider stuff, but I don't think even they can come up with something that ridiculous. Uh, we've seen Triggy keep his little mitts in with his whole idea of coaches should be staff and not get contracts um, with the naming of Bolton. Um, who's I never actually, I knew he was kind of short, but I never realized how short until I saw him being interviewed um, by Richo on the weekend. And yeah, he didn't even come up to his waist. I'm thinking I might be taller than this guy. Um, I would have told him to go and get stuffed with that bloody contract, you know. Bloody hell. That's ridiculous. It was all right to do it with Craigie, he'd been there 100 years, but to do it with a brand new coach, do, yeah, don't give him any security. Yeah, kind, kind, kind of interesting. I like you, Brendan, because I can look down on you and we can talk. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was, I think, one of the world's worst-kept secrets. Everybody kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, and he is leaving Hawthorne at the end of this week. So Hawthorne uh, with Brett Ratton also being on indefinite leave, that's kind of interesting of um, for them leading into the finals. And also, got, who's, who have they promoted into forward line? I forgot his name. Oh, it's the head of development, um, one of the development guys who that they've... Um, I read it. Yeah, so did I. Got, I can't remember. Yeah, it's gone from my brain. My brain not working so well. And the other news, of course, um, in terms of finals and what's coming up is um, apparently an inflammation of the fibula is what's um, keeping Nate Fife out of playing the last two games. I so, thought it was a finger. 
Maybe I said fibula. Are you sure? I think it was a fibula. It's a girl's way. Yeah. No, I yeah, think, it is I think... a leg injury. Yep, they, there you go. I reckon they mistyped it first up because I'm sure they said finger. Maybe they misheard it. Or somebody actually doesn't know their anatomy and saw it started with an F and thinks it's finger. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> we, we've always seen a bit of the quality of the journalism going on around. And then... Well, that brings Dangerfield into the Brownlow frame, surely. And as somebody else pointed out, Pritis. Pritis can almost be back-to-back. Absolutely. Um, So I I think it's actually going to have some interest in the Brownlow, whereas almost everybody else was like, yeah, Fife's got it. Um, It was just either he was going to get reported as a way to stop him winning it, but now not playing. And, of course, he hasn't been playing well um, for about the last four or five weeks. No, not since um, not since the halfway break, really. Not since a certain Hawthorne player might have kicked him. But they don't do that. Hawthorne players are good blokes. <laughs> yeah. Family club. Oh, totally. <laughs> and they wouldn't do anything unsociable at all. No. And a couple of <laughs> signings for us this week again. We have um, Charlie Cameron extending um, until 2018 and now Riley Knight getting a two-year deal. So that's two of um, very good young players. Yeah, but he mustn't be good enough, Nicky, if we're giving him a two-year deal. There must be question marks over him. Uh, no, I've actually been quite um, pleased with what we've heard so far from Justin Reid and in terms of the list management. We're... Most definitely. I mean, while she thought that 2017 was the right age bracket, we've actually seen our club move into what um, champion data consider the little their little scattergraph where they have where your defence and your um, offence kind of need to um, be at a, a little certain point. And West Coast and Hawthorne are currently the only two teams that sit in that section, but we've made a move towards it which is kind of interesting for a team that may actually not even make the finals, depending on, you know, what happens. It's, as we know, the destiny is in our hands. But, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I'm liking what I'm seeing with the contracts. I'm really impressed. Yeah, it's interesting that um, with Tom Lynch that it's coming out that, you know, that Hawthorne are interested. But most people are aware of his manager, this is what he does. He talks up um, the possibility of leaving, going to another club so they can try and get what they want out of their own club. But um, Lynch was on the Channel 9 Sunday footy show a couple of weeks ago and he talked about how you know how settled he is in Adelaide and he wants to remain here. Um, yeah, I, I, they'll get it done. Yeah, they'll get it done. It's just whether he gets what he wants or we get what we want. So I think there's just a little back and forth. Um, so I think from what I understand, he wants three years, The cl- um, but we're only offering two. So, which, which seems to line us up with a couple of things, um, mainly, again, that 2017 time frame that you were talking about earlier, which seems to be a bit of a a bit of a landmark in the club's thinking. There's a lot of contracts sort of moving up to that date. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we had quite a few out of contract this year. We still have a number that are um, also out of contract. Um, 
what I've heard is that the deal with Scott Thompson has pretty much been done and agreed to. I think there's just some crossing the I's and dotting the T's and at some stage that will be announced he'll get an extra year. Crossing um, the I's and dotting the T's? Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Out, Sorry about that. <laughs> I told you, my brain's a bit funny. Um, I mean, it's a bit funny at the best of times. I was but... just about to say, what else is new? <laughs> This this is even more so. Um, yeah, so there's kind of some little interesting things that's going on there. And the other thing, I know we were talking just a little bit before we um, started recording this here, but I think this might be the, the place to have that little discussion. But I actually think why the reasoning behind we're seeing so much from journalists um, from Victoria very much pushing that Dangerfield is a definite goer um, in terms of heading back to Victoria, I think it's more aligned with the fact that they don't want to talk about the crowds that are dwindling in Victoria and um, going to the AFL games, that it just, you know, the AFL putting on for free for kids to go on Sunday, it just has not gotten the crowds back in. They need a win in terms of PR because everybody talks about the place to now go and watch football, the, the game where you have to experience even as a neutral as Adelaide Oval. So in a way, I think partly it's those journalists trying to get a win in a way for Victoria in that they get a, a big name star to come back. Well, it just shows with the, um, <clears throat> with the um, coverage of the of today's little um, tidbit about uh, Worsfold, you know, immediately it's like, oh, he's going to Essendon. Well, you would think that your first thought is that he's going to coach Adelaide considering we're also looking for a coach and he happens to be here right now. And as somebody pointed out on the board, he's he's now seen the staff. He's got relationships with the staff with the coaching panel that we've already got. Um, he's, I think my, my father made the point after the Richmond game that he looked like a proud father with how, I think I mentioned that last week, that, that how you we actually saw that from, from Worsfold, that that was just the expression on his face, that he was so pleased for them. So if anybody's in the running, and, and the fact that he actually said that he's going to sit down with Adelaide at the end of the season and see if, um, because he now has this little desire to coach again or, and be involved in a football club and whether he fits in with their plans moving forward. Yeah, I mean, so, how, how, how more obvious does it need to be? I mean, and yet the the article, I think it was by Mick Warner again over in yeah. uh, at the Herald, he didn't even mention the, <laughs> the fact that Adelaide might be a bit of a, a shot. It, they certainly are struggling in Victoria at the moment. Like you said, Nikki, it's a good point that you raise. Um, oh, they're, sure. just, they're just hanging for a good news story. Yeah, well and truly. I mean, none of the journalists have really focused on why the crowds are dropping off in Victoria. And it has been. It's shocking. I mean, we we saw the Friday night game between Hawthorne and Port and that crowd was pathetic Um, for Hawthorne, who has quite a large supporter base. I know it's at Etihad and and most people don't like going to Etihad they only had to put 50,000 in there and, like, there was probably about eight to ten port um, fans, yeah. I reckon. There was stacks of them. So then, then he had to find thirty or 40,000 to fill the damn thing up and they couldn't do it. It was, like you said, it was pretty woeful for a Friday night slot. I mean, we, we can understand why the Essendon game against us 
why the Adelaide supporter base was probably larger than the Essendon supporter base. I mean, if anybody's got a right to not kind of want to turn up and be quite disenfranchised regarding their club, you can understand that to do with Essendon supporters. But the problem for, I think, the Melbourne teams is that the ones that are doing well are the teams that just don't have the supporter base and probably never will. That's um, right. In North Melbourne and... And the bullies. And the bullies. And I reckon the Saints are another one who are on the way up as well, but traditionally they don't have a large supporter base either. That's why they're pumping up Richmond so much because, um, you know, they're probably really relying on Richmond to be the the good news story um, for Victoria. I mean, you know, and it's likely that they probably will be, but in terms of supporter base, they're really the only legitimate large supporter base club that's going any good at the moment. But they're such a fickle mob, that lot. I love them to death, but my God, they can turn on their own. Yeah, they're a little little impatient. They were blaming um, the cost of food and drink at Eddie had in the MCG for the reasons of um, non-attendance at both grounds, but they seem to have gone down from what I've heard from friends in Melbourne, so they can't yeah. blame that. Yeah, the AFL actually stepped in. Um, and kind of put some pressure on. And so there was a big a big whole thing of the start of the year that they've frozen the prices um, in terms of the, the food and the drink. So and that was another thing they did to try and entice people to come back. It just hasn't worked. The AFL really do have a problem, but they don't want to talk about it. And just in some final late-breaking news, uh, welcome, Danos. How are you, mate? Oh, he's disappeared. <laughs> he's off. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk to you, Phoenix. Hello, I'm just, I'm just reading his little note here. How should I fell asleep? <laughs> <laughs> what we, did I say earlier? You were right, Waffle. You said he was probably having a nap. Kids do that to you. You there, Danos? I'm here. How are you? <laughs> wakey, wakey. <laughs> I think Danos is falling asleep. We were just talking about the crowds dropping off in um, Victoria. Yep. <laughs> you got pops and <laughs> You got any stats on that, Dennis? No, he actually he had a point. He argued with me on the board today. Well, not argued, he disagreed. Um, just regarding the, the 100,000 that turned up for the soccer game. Yes, and you pointed out that uh, not all those people will come from Melbourne. But I don't think that's necessarily the point. The 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 whole um, Victoria being the sports capital of Australia or Melbourne specifically is that they um, they have so many different sporting events that get full capacity crowds constantly every year. But that's not true anymore. It's particularly not this year because the AFL most definitely hasn't. The A League crowds dropped off as well. The only um, some of those, they would go from 22,000 for a Melbourne victory game and then they'll play like a Wellington and that only gets 6,000. So there's been a real drop-off in Victoria um, this year. That, but, yeah, I think mostly the AFL's really got a problem. It would be interesting to see some stats on the on the whole sports calendar for Melbourne and see what their crowds actually were. Melbourne Cups are sell out, sell out though, Denos. Yep. 
but that, Formula One has increased their, their numbers over the last couple say, of years. F, F1's been doing okay. And the tennis always does, but those ones are traditionally um, sports where you can't go to another F1 game. You've got to come from interstate to go to that. And same with the tennis, the Australian Open. A lot of people I know go over there to watch that and they get their tickets earlier on. So it's that's, that's skewed um, in a way. It's the Melbourne people who aren't going to watch their own Melbourne teams. Especially Melbourne. Would you really want to go and watch them? If I was struggling for sleep, I would. Well, apparently they're all very negative, So, as Rosie says. So, um, yeah, no, probably not. Well, when I was in Sydney. Anyway, <laughs> any more than you? <laughs> I, thought, I was waiting for something more, yeah, and then no, I realised what you said. Else, yeah. We're a bit slow today, aren't we? <laughs> Anything else, Nick? No, I, I think we've done enough of them. Um, Crossing the eyes and dotting the T's. Yeah, yeah, I'm just sitting here patting my head and rubbing my stomach, so <laughs> we'll move on. Oh, and Pods kicked nine in the SNFL. That was kind of cool. Hooray. He's due for a call-up. I did like the, the Twitter post that the club put out where they um, had text with his little PB. I kicked seven and then they just put a little picture of Pods up and just went, oh, cute. <laughs> Nice little sense of humour going on. All right, well, uh, without further ado, let's have a quick chat about um, last weekend's um, win over the Brisbane Lions. Obviously, everything went according to plan, guys. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Um I did. I do want to know though if the um, Brisbane Lions player got a goal assist when he tapped it back towards the goal, so Tech could run onto it and kick the goal. That was bizarre. And Danger doing his hair before he marked it. That was hilarious. That's my <laughs> as my new avatar shows. I did. I saw that. It was it was so funny watching that live. Just going, he's just done his hair. It'd be so funny if that was actually an intentional piss take on Wingard, but I doubt it was. <laughs> oh no, that that was there was some there was some very kind of funny moments. I have to say, being at the game and in that first quarter, and everybody was getting a bit ropeable and stuff again. Brisbane had a very set game plan to try and counter the way we wanted to play, and they had to run really hard in order to instigate it. And I'm watching going, you know, they're, they're actually playing quite well. They, they do have quite a number of good players and some really good talent, but I didn't think they would be able to maintain that um, structure and that running ability for the whole game, and I, and I think that showed through. Yeah, well, Birdman's the fitness coach up there. He's got some work to do, I guess. No, no he they doesn't. sacked him. Oh, they he's sacked gone. him. Yep. yep, he's gone, him and um, the development guy. We'll be leaving at the end of the year. No, I didn't know that. Yep, that came out today. Well, that's probably why, because they couldn't run out of the game. Um, it, it, it was – what I actually found interesting was that it took us about a, halfway through the quarter when Campo made some changes and we made some adjustments on field to work around the way that – they were structuring up. So we all of a sudden started to deliver differently 
into our forward line and, and bringing that ball forward. The only downside was that we slowed it down a little bit. So it meant that Jenkins, who was getting in so much space, it seemed like his teammates hated him and just didn't want to kick, him, kick the ball to him. Have you, have you seen any of the um, telecast of the, the game? I've watched a little bit. Um, I haven't sat down and watched the full game, but I've watched most of it. Because that was a running, a running joke throughout uh, the telecast um, of um, how Jenkins was always in so much space and yet could not seem to get the ball. How can you miss him? He's kind of tall. That's what I was thinking. The poor bloke, when they did kick it to him, they kick it over his head or at his feet. It's like, oh, give him a break. Just kick it to his chest. Just to go off on a little tangent, did you see um, uh, Hogan, Jesse Hogan um, getting spoiled by Max Gorn three or four times? No. He couldn't kick a goal. He could not get his hands on the ball. And every time he got his hands on the ball, Max Gorn was standing behind him and spoiled it. Hilarious. Oh, bugger. Oh, the other thing is that on the, the Jenkins with nobody wanting to be near him, when Lions came on in the last quarter, we actually, there was a comment made um, by my sister was that, does he smell? Because the Brisbane players did not want to go near Jared Lyons at all the entire last quarter. Yeah, and like you said, they were probably a bit physically spent by then, although Lyons isn't that hard to keep up with. But, I mean, it was good to see our lesser lights um, pick up the slack. I mean, we didn't get huge games out of Paddy or or any of our, um, you know, um, first-string yeah, first midfielders. But um, the Rat and um, Riley Knight, Tommy. Tommy Lynch, you know, it was a great game from that respect to see those, those types uh, really stand up. And the fact that pretty much three games in a row, we've put the pressure on another team, another team's come at us, we've absorbed it, and then we've just gone ahead with the job. That's really pleasing to see. I nearly said something, but I realised it was going to um, go on to the uh, West Coast game. No, we can do that. Yeah, we'll, let's wrap this one up really quick because there's not much to talk about. Oh, Atkins goal in the week. Texas seven goals. The yeah. boy's got a little bit of swagger. Yeah, that goal outside 50, um, that brought back a bit of memories from Tex of old, so oh, hopefully he's hitting his straps. Hair stylist. <laughs> the porno mo. It, it seemed to me very much that, um, yeah, not that we were going through the motions, but I think uh, I had the impression actually that Patrick might have been a little bit crook. He didn't seem... Um, yeah, he didn't. There were there was some. There was a a couple of chases. He was running hard, but we didn't see that little burst of speed that we normally had. And very interestingly, um, Sloney talked about how nervous Danger was before that game. Um, that he hadn't seen him that nervous in a very long time, and he was trying to calm him down. Yeah, I haven't heard that. You wouldn't think someone like Patrick Dangerfield would ever get nervous after 150 games. Especially against Brisbane. But obviously he wanted to play well and it just kind of didn't work. I mean, they were were playing Robinson on him. They they were tagging him and we know he is a little bit susceptible to tag. But I also thought from the way we were playing, he sacrificed his game a little bit because they were doing that. 
he became a, a tackling machine and yeah. he was a, more a link man than a go-get-his-own-ball man. But those passes into the forward 50 he was doing, I mean, I think he was, was he 80 or 90% disposal efficiency? Yeah, something like that. Which for somebody who Port supporters like to nickname him Clangerfield, his his passing was beautiful. On that being a wind guard. Yeah. On that note, uh, we have officially increased our season disposal disposal efficiency to over seventy percent. Yay! Finally. We're still seventeenth though. <laughs> what the? You raise us up and then you just cut us off at the knees. All, all year, since round, uh, since before round three, sorry, since after round three, we've been below 70%, uh, with Gold Coast the only team who's got a worse disposal efficiency than us. We're still the second worst, but at least we're over 70% now. No, I feel they don't have a bad disposal efficiency. There's a silence for you again. I've got nothing. It's weird. No, once it started, I just kind of went, no, I'm not going to say anything. Let's see how how long before Phoenix loses it. (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. Well, we might as well just wrap that one up because, um, (laughs) you know, I think we obviously did what we had to do. Um, It was good that we got through unscathed, no injuries. Um, well, fingers crossed about Brownie. I do have yeah. to say, though, at the end of the game, as soon as that siren went, both the Brisbane and the Adelaide players just almost just heads over. They were absolutely stuffed. Yeah, I noticed that too, actually. It was a really hard-running game. So uh, onwards and upwards to the important game this week against West Coast. Yeah, this one's going to be interesting. We'll really see where we're at, I think. I'm really upbeat about how we're going to go this weekend. I think we've been building fitness, and that's really shown over the last couple of weeks. We've started to click as a team, and that's really shown over the last couple of weeks. Um, What's going to be interesting um, is what Nikki was just talking about before, that we've been able to withstand the pressure that the opposition has put on for a quarter or a quarter and a half and then put our foot down and taken off. If West Coast gets the chance to put pressure on us, then they could easily kick five or six goals uh, without a reply and it's going to be really, really difficult to come back from that. We've got to uh, get out, get a good start straight away. I think this really is a quintessential win the midfield, win the game, um, because West West Coast can put a bit of heat on your scoreboard-wise really quickly with their forward line. Um, if they're getting first use, it's going to make it very difficult. But if we can break even or shut them down in the midfield um, and put pressure on their defence, which is undermanned, then I think we're in with a really good shot. I think we actually have, have very similar teams yeah, um, the two of us were strong in the midfield, very strong in the forward line, and reasonably or, or respectively weak defence. So if we can, as you said, win that midfield, um, or at least get a, enough opportunities down to our forward line, our forward line's going to have a day out. Well, See, they've I, got I no one. T- they had Elliot Yeo playing ten half back last week, yeah. didn't they? 
Yeah, y'all, y'all did um, play down back for a little bit. See, I, I think we're slightly better than them in the back half. But they're slightly better than us in the forward half. So it balances out. Yeah. I think so. I, I, I think in terms of quality players in the forward half, I, I'd say we probably get close to it. I mean, you, you put Lacroix up against Eddie. Um, Kennedy up against Tex. They don't have they, – they drop Nicknack down – I suppose. Well, they got um, Jack Darling. He's, yeah, he's Jack a, Darling as, as as opposed to JJ. Um, and I'd say JJ's been one of the form forwards in the, the competition for the past couple of weeks. Um, who have they got that works a bit like Lynch? Uh, well, Lacroix does a little bit of that. Uh, yeah. Josh, Josh Hill and Cripps. Yeah, Cripps, yeah. And now we've got Knights and Charlie Cameron. So we've got two quite young raw ones in, in there. But there's, there's – I think it's fairly comparable. It's just I think West Coast have been clicking better as a forward line and they've been getting better service from their midfield. And you're right that it's, it's really going to come down to that midfield battle. What do we do if uh, Source can't go with Nick Matt? That's the big thing. You wrote a nickname. Have, have we ever seen how uh, JJ has gone up against Nick Nat? I think he did a bit of work last game, didn't he? Well, the reason and I it, say that is because JJ has a much better leap yes. than Source. And if Source is having trouble against Nick Nat, perhaps it might be something that we look at um, – Source going up against Sinclair or Lysette mm. and JJ having a bit more time in the middle against Nick now. And I think he, from memory, he's, his jump is up there. Um, yeah. And I reckon he has gotten back, over Nick now a couple of times. Yeah. Is Lysette playing? I thought he was injured. Oh, it, it, I was just musing that it could be either of them because either of them match up. Or source matches up better yeah. against them yeah. than he does against Nick now. I, I think you've got to um, you've got to take it as it comes with Nick Nat. Uh, he's got three definite tap zones. He has that 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 tap forward that clears everyone, and then he's got the one behind him, and then he's got the one that kind of goes almost to the left hand wing. And there is three zones that he tends to tap to, but it's it's around the ground that he gets here, and that's where I think we've got to be even more careful and employ a lot of third up tactics. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And the other thing is, I was thinking back to that West, as I was saying um, when we had the discussion with Skipos, which is probably going to happen after this, but um, that I thought we went with West Coast fairly well. Um, in that first game back after our break. And it was just that little burst when Dangerfield was off that was when West Coast got away. But I thought we pretty much kept up with them and kept the pressure on them for was, a lot of that game. Was that when Danger had the argument with Campo? Or was that argument before? No, that was after. Yeah, no, he, he got hurt, didn't he? Yeah, he got the tooth through the lip. And he had to go that's off right. for about ten minutes, and oh, that's, that's when right. West and that's when West Coast got the run on. The only the only thing that I would say, and not to downplay the obvious effect that it was having on us, but West Coast would have been a bit flat too that week. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know whether you can take a heck of a lot out of that game, to be honest. I mean, in the end, you're right, there was that 15-minute burst um, where they really got ahead of us and we couldn't peg them back. They had the home crowd advantage. Obviously, you know, what was going on. I, I don't know whether you can take a heck of a lot out of that game. Yeah, we're on a hiding to nothing. But I do, I do think we actually match up very well with mm. West Coast. I think, like you guys were saying earlier, we we're a similar team. Um, we've got similar strengths and weaknesses. Um, they're obviously in great form, and our form is difficult to judge because we've played a couple of no hopers. Although our form against Richmond was superb, um, and obviously it's on and our then home deck. And we've also throughout the year been uh, competitive against the top sides, um, even if not for a full game. Yep, that's very true. We've started to drop players that have been underperforming, which we haven't seen in a very long time. I think I think um, just, just back to our defence against their forward line, they've got the two big guys, uh, Darling and Kennedy, the three smaller players that they've got, none of them are small. They're all um, sort of 185 to 190 centimetres. I think it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, Lever's going to come back in and he'll be that floating defender. Um, It's the perfect game to have a Cheney. I agree with that. um, Yeah. I'm not sure whether he matches up against Lacroix, um, but whether we need that bigger body down there, um, I think you'd put Brown on Lacroix if if Brown's okay to go because he's quick. Yeah, and he's locked down. He's almost a tagger. You wouldn't play Lever on Lacroix and put um, Hardigan and Talia on the two big fellas and because um, Lacroix does lead up a fair bit. Is is Lever a um, – do we, do we think that he's ready to be a – Almost a lockdown defender. And does he have the, sorry, Denos, does he also have the leg speed to go with the crowd? He's, he seems to be really um, benefiting from the floating role, not having a specific defender to match up on and sort of being that third man in the contest. Yeah, I just wonder whether Cheney's got the class to go with Lacroix uh, and Lever does have that little bit of something. Yeah, Lever's ability to read the play, um, and Cheney's got that as well. And um, the couple of games I've seen Cheney in the SNFL, he's just been that nice, solid player that, that what we saw in, in the AFL. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Chino's, Cheney's quite the right matchup for the Cra. Um For me, I, I still think Brown's the obvious one there. You don't think Chino's are a good matchup on Lacroix? <laughs> and then you've obviously got Cripps and who is it, Josh Hill as well. Yeah, running through there. So I mean, they're, they're so the, tough to the match Henderson, up on. Henderson and Smith as your options because because Hill think, pushes up to the wing a lot. I think that Smith. Um, I don't think we can sacrifice him as a defender. Uh, Henderson is not a defender. He's no, no. good at it. So Van Berlo on Lacroix, maybe. Well, that's an option. Absolutely. Yeah. 
it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. And I and I checked the weather, and it's going to be a nice sunny day. Yeah, and the other thing that's going to be interesting is how West Coast come at us. I mean, some of those um, high-ranked teams have got us on the turnover pretty much. Hawthorne did that um, earlier in the year. And certainly that's, as you said, Nikki, that's what Brisbane were trying to do last week. Um, it'll be interesting to see if West Coast sit back and absorb and then try and get us over the bank. Yeah, I think the advantage is that playing Brisbane, that they had that. Um, they they were kind of playing a little bit like the Weagles web, um, the way they were manning up that little square space and and everything else. So I think we've kind of had a bit of a – Brisbane's possibly done us a bit of a favour because they were playing a bit like West Coast for, for part of the game. I think it all comes down to midfield. I really do this game. Um, and good quick service into the forward line. I think if we try and be too cute in the, and perfect into the forward line, that it gives West Coast too much time. Um, it, it's it's going to be a fascinating game. It really is. I think it'll be a shootout. So what do you reckon the result's going to be? Five points our way. I don't think it'll be that close. I think um, it's either going to be a like a four goal win or a four goal loss. Um, but I'm going to put my my money on the win. Yeah, I'm going to take a two goal win. I reckon. I reckon we're just going to get over the line. <sighs> my heart says we win. My brain says maybe we don't. Um, yeah, but your brain said dot your eyes, dot your T's and cross your <laughs> eyes. Your eyes. So, so we won't go with my brain. It. Okay, so uh, yeah. I'll go with the, the with you, Phoenix. I reckon about a two goal win for us. Fingers crossed. And I've just read a um, tweet from the Adelaide Crows saying that we've sold out the home game. Awesome. Beautiful. So it's going to be a cauldron, as it, it should be. Will. Most important game for this club for quite some time, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, like the the showdown after Walsh's thing was obviously very important in terms of our players' mindset and the club's mindset, but in terms of our future direction, uh, particularly for this year, this is massive. This game, and also credit to the the club who's been putting out little videos and things this year. The thank you to members one with Sloney, and the way he finished the the way he said we fly as one at the end. It was just like shivers down my spine. It's like I yep. got the shivers too. That was. Yep. I, I don't think that little slogan's going away anytime soon. I, I think that's well and truly ours now for a very long time. And just to Danos' previous comment about being sold out, eat that, Port Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a hell of a lot of pets coming. <laughs> do, I need to, do I need to sign up my cats? My brother fully signed up his dogs. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> on that pause, I mean, you're right, Nikki. I think, um, you know, despite Alex's ranting on the boards today, I mean, our, our club has done a fantastic job this year under extremely trying circumstances, and you just fail to see how um, a trig led administration would have pulled this off as well as they have. It wouldn't have. I, I feel like it's sort of a I don't, I don't know the right words to say for this but I feel like the tragedy that we've been through has almost helped 
um, the club be able to do as well as it has. Galvanised. Galvanised, yeah. I, There's I think, the word. I think that, that it's sort of come hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, it very much made the rest of the football world, we were always referred to as a franchise. We were the Camry Quarries, even though we, I think as supporters, knew that we were a club and, and we felt, you know, very much that it was a club and not a, not a franchise. But with what happened, with the way that the supporter base rallied, the way that the club handled itself, um, I think that made the rest of the football world really sit up and take notice going, no, hang on, this is um, a hell of a football club. And then what the players have been able to do, um, when everybody talks about how hard it must be for the Essendon players and, you know, that's why they're not getting up, that's why they're getting beaten, I just kind of look at our guys and go, hang on, they've been through something pretty horrible as well. And yet the way the care that's been shown to them, um, the way the club's been mindful of, I think, putting them first, but then also trying to help them through and, and football being able to help them do that, it's, it, it makes me proud to be an Adelaide fan. Well, nothing makes culture like adversity and, you know, no one would have wished what happened, but you're right, Danos, it's, it's been the making of our club. Um, and, Nikki, you know, I was on the side of we're a franchise. That's how it always felt to me, even though I love I loved supporting the Adelaide Footy Club. But it, we have a club feel about us now. We're not a franchise anymore. We feel like a club and we act like a club. Um, and, you know, it's taken 25 years, but I think, I think we've got there and, you know, terribly sad circumstances. But, um, you know, I, I think we're going to make a few clubs stand up and take notice over the next five to ten years. There's no going back now. Thanks, Waffle. <laughs> no, this is – I just had to look it up. But Rory Atkins, the tweet – the quote from Phil Walsh, in times of adversity is when a true team stands up and comes together. And, yeah. I, and I think that's what they've been living. And yeah. that's what the, the rest of us have um, been living. And, you know, just really and expressed by Rory and how we've seen him come on now this year as well. It's just things are feeling right. <laughs> So tonight on Board Talk, we've got um, a special guest with us. Um, a lot of you from the boards will know him from some of his work uh, during the off-season um, with Trade and Draft Analysis. So it's our pleasure to welcome Skipos to the um, Crowcast tonight. G'day, mate. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'll just uh, introduce everyone. I'm Phoenix and we've got Danos. G'day. Nikki. Hello. And Waffle. Good evening. So Nikki's the one that sounds like a female, not Waffle. No worries. I think I've got it all right. Beautiful. So, um, mate, we'll kick off with a bit of a, um, if you can give us a bit of a background on how you came to um, be on the big footy boards in the first place. Yeah, it was a, uh, it's interesting really. I I was a bit of a young fella, kind of. I think I originally joined up to, 
be a bit of a troll, mess about, thinking I was uh, one of those cool kids. It would have been about six or seven years ago now. But I uh, went a bit silent. And then when I uh, developed my interest in the draft again, I kind of saw it as a platform to really kind of share my work and, and uh, hopefully improve the community. So I kind of came back this time with more positive intentions and, uh, yeah, haven't looked back since. So you're a born-again poster, mate. Yeah, pretty much. And where does your interest in that side of things lie? Have you, have you got any um, connections amongst the place or is it just your own keen observations? Explain to us a, a little bit about all that. I've always kind of enjoyed watching watching the development of players and that starts a lot a long way before they enter the system. So it kind of started from there and then over the last probably five or six years I've grown more and more frustrated with the game and junior football isn't really the same kind of game. It's a very different style of football. I, I find it more entertaining to watch, so I can kind of combine observing entertaining football and uh, watching the next generation develop, and I really enjoy it. So when you say watching it, mate, you go out to Macca's Cup games, do you, here, or you, you hook into the TAC Cup? How, how do you actually go about um, having a look at all that? Yeah, I try and get out to as many games as I can. I normally get out to all the championship games, watch the ones I uh, can't see on uh, the computer or the TV. Every probably weekend or two, I'll get out to a, an SANFL game when I've got time. I normally go to the reserves. I find that's a you get more players in there. I kind of schedule the games I go to around how many draftable players are playing. So I kind of often see more, say, North Adelaide games because I've got a lot more young fellas in the side. Um, yeah, it's probably normally about every week or two I'll get to a, a reserves game, hopefully an 18s game if it's on beforehand, or to get a look at our young Benjamin. But, yeah, that's about it, really. Yeah, I was about to ask you what your thoughts are on Benjamin. Yeah, he's, a, he's small. That, that's the issue. He really is small. So if I'm Benjamin, I want to, uh, I'd want to grow a bit before entering the system. He's a... Uh, He's a nice player, wins his own ball. He can use it, exciting, knows where the goals are. But at his size, he needs to be doing a lot of things really, really well. And he's just not that dominant yet. He's uh, he's made the step up to reserves football and he's playing a role in reserves footy, which is promising. But yeah, he's certainly not a, uh, a first round draft pick at the moment. I'll probably have him in second or third round contention for next year. Um. He's a bit like a, a kind of a Ben Kennedy at the moment from Collingwood as that kind of undersized player who looks good but might not be able to put it all together at the moment. So he hasn't got the licks of that um, young lad the, from South, what was his name, Daniels? Caleb Daniels. Caleb Daniels, Caleb Daniels. yeah, no, they're, they're different players. Uh, Daniels, a, a once-in-a-generation kind of player. I don't think Jarman's that good, but over the off-season, bit of growth, bit of hard training, you never know. He's certainly got the talent. And the genes. Yeah, I was just wondering though, your interest in looking at all these younger players and things like that, would, would that be something you would be interested in doing, like moving into as a job? Oh, yeah, I think I've been asked this quite a few times. It's in an ideal world, I'd, uh, I'd love to, but I'm a, I'm a relatively young fella in my 20s. I've uh, not really played much football, never coached football, don't have much experience in the industry. So if I were to get in, I'd have to be a pretty lucky man. So I'm pretty happy just observing, having a look when I've got a bit of free time on weekends, 
definitely a hobby at the moment. I'm, I'm not really expecting to ever go any further with it. Have well, you um, have you happened to bump into or develop any relationships with any of the scouts that go to those games? Not really. They normally keep themselves. I mean, they know who each other are. So I think you often see scouts from different clubs kind of having chats and you often overhear what they say. But I'm not the kind of type that will inter- intervene in a conversation that's not mine. So you kind of you know who's a scout and you see them. But I don't really try and network with them. You are, you meet a few people on Twitter and the like who who are in the industry and, and happy to chat. But I certainly won't be kind of hitting up scouts at games looking to, to chat with them. Well, there are actually two Adelaide uh, former um, Adelaide Big Footy members that have gone into the industry um, and it was their work doing their um, commenting on drafting and, and the young players coming through that got them noticed. And, and I think um, so there's one that's um, I think he still is at the Western Bulldogs and, of course, uh, former Mod Wally um, had to stop posting and being a mod because he got a job with the um, Crows. Oh really? I, I didn't know that. I knew uh, I knew Wally was around and kind of went away. I didn't know that was a reason. That's uh, certainly interesting. Yeah, so he does um, some work in scouting and recruiting, etc. In um, Victoria. Oh, that uh, gives me a bit of hope then. But I guess you look and at blokes like uh, like Nightmare, who are also on the site, have been doing it for five or six years, and they've certainly got more of a a record. You can kind of look back at their work and assess it. Mm. Hindsight, I haven't been doing it for long enough to be able to assess my work with hindsight yet. So do you do any travel outside of South Australia or is all your scouting done done uh, around the SA Leagues? Uh, it's mainly around the SA Leagues. I, um, I try and get as much footage as I can from the other leagues. I know the uh, Northeastern AFL often put their games on YouTube, so I see a lot of the the New South Wales and Queensland players. Um, I managed to see all bar, I think, one championship games this year. So most of the prospects I've seen five or six times. Um, I saw some footage of uh, the AIS Academy earlier in the year and you occasionally get some um, waffle games that you find on the internet. So while I base myself in South Australia, I can normally get five or six games at least of, uh, of each player in to make an assessment. So do you agree with what's being said that um, possibly this year that the, the top of the draft is still quite good, but it drops away very sharply? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, a few months ago, a lot of people were saying it was a really weak draft. I, uh, they were definitely probably not on the money there. But you're right when you say it's, a, it's good at the top, but it really drops away. I mean, I look at the top 20 to 25, and I think most of those players you're going to get than a hundred gamer, but uh, after twenty five, it really drops off, and all the prospects are very speculative. They are uh, kind of very risky types, so you'll get a few gems, but there will be a lot of busts. I expect clubs to only look at taking their three selections and then stopping, probably doing some rookie upgrades. Won't be as many players picked this year. So. <laughs> So you could see more mature ages being uh, drafted earlier? Uh, that, that's certainly a possibility. Um, you, the combine list was released, I think, last week or the week before, and there were quite a few mature age players on the state league combine list. 
Um, there's a lot of 19 year olds in the system at the moment that are, are getting a look at as well. So it's certainly a possibility this year. And what sort of draft um, does it shape up being? Is it a, a tall player draft or a midfielder draft or a mix? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, a year ago, you probably would have said it was a midfielder's draft. But this year, a lot of our key position players have kind of burst onto the scene. So I'm looking at the top probably 15 to 20 and thinking there are probably between seven and eight or nine key position players in there. But it's definitely a key position player draft. Yeah, of all the um, uh, the speculation that you've you've done and the assessment that you've done, what what's been your proudest moment? What's been the one that where you've either pulled a rabbit out of a hat, or or you know come up with something firm that maybe others have missed? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I've only really been doing the the hardcore big footy stuff for two years now, so I can only really look back on last year, but. Uh, I'm pretty happy with last year. I uh, I had Darcy Moore as the best key position player in the draft, ahead of um, Carton, Lever, and uh, and Wright. And at the moment, I think Moore's proving himself the best key position player of the draft. Um, I also had Lever at number six last year. I think he's proven that he's probably a top six player from that draft. So I'm pretty I'm pretty chuffed that I got him right, and also that we picked him up because he's a he's a fantastic player. Yeah, that ACL did, did us some favours, I think. Oh, yeah, but he'd, he'd done enough when he was 16 to kind of prove that he was a player. So I'm surprised, I still am surprised he slipped. So, I mean, that probably brings up a question about how speculative clubs are willing to be or how creative they're willing to be with their own selections. I mean, you're right, Lever had done enough um, prior to his draft year to be strongly considered inside the top 10. Uh, do you feel that clubs aren't perhaps um, advanced enough in their own assessment of, of junior talent? Do, do you feel like that's got some development yet? Oh, there's, all, there's always room to improve. And as we get further on, they'll, they'll learn from their mistakes and, and continue improving. But I reckon recruiters are now better than ever. If you look back at previous drafts and the hit rates in the first round, I reckon we'll find that they gradually increase over time because recruiters are kind of learning as time goes on. I mean, last year we saw uh, Nakaya Copper 2 go at number 10, I think it was, to Geelong. And Nakaya hadn't played a game all year. I think his only game was a curtain raiser on grand final day against 16-year-olds. And Geelong picked him up based on one game. So they're certainly willing to make those speculative kind of picks early on in the draft. I wonder how long it'll take before it gets very, very scientific, a la the NFL, um, because it still, I think, does rely quite heavily on, you know, the the, the fabled um, talent picker, you know, the guy that knows what to look at. And there's, uh, you know, there's we've got the combined results and all the rest of it. But you wonder whether at some point it will get more scientific and, and a more exact science I certainly think it's inevitable. It's definitely inevitable. But AFL's a bit a different game. It's not NFL. It's not it's not soccer. It's not any of those. It's a it's a far harder game to break down with stats and numbers. It, they are they, I think they call it the eye test where the eye is the greatest judge, not not stats with football. And I do tend to agree that your eye will always be able to judge talent more than stats can, if that makes sense. 
Well, it's the whole money ball debate, isn't it? I mean, most MLB clubs will will go on that eye test to a degree, and yet um, there's been some very successful programs that have gone very heavily into statistical analysis and horses for courses um, drafting. So it's a fascinating subject, I reckon. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about is is your opinion on the draft age. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting one. I've uh, I've, I was I used to be very firm in my belief that it should remain at eighteen, but more and more I'm seeing arguments that suggest that nineteen could be the way to go. It's uh it's one that I don't think we'll ever get right, but I do like the idea of giving the kids a year in the system to really continue to hone their talent without pressure kind of experience the real world, which I think is really important. Most of these kids are fresh out of school and they're entering a whole new system that's very insular, like school is. So some guys are leaving AFL at 30, not really having any experience being out on their own. And I think an extra year would allow them to go out, kind of go to uni or, or get a job. But the counterpoint to that is that a lot of these kids, if they have that extra year, they end up getting a job and not having time to commit to football. So I've heard of heard stories of kids who were born really early in the year and do a year of uni anyway or a trade or something, and they can't actually maintain their level of interest in training for football. So there, there are certainly arguments for both sides, so I'm very much undecided at the moment. Yeah, it's another interesting one because, again, the comparisons with the American system and, of course, they've got the college system there which um, bridges that gap, uh, that age gap from high school to, to you know, college graduate, whereas we don't have that over here to the same, uh, like we don't have the same structure. My, my problem with the 18-year-old age is, is always been um, that there's still some physical development um, to go and often calls are made on kids as 17-year-olds and... They're not, then you know, players haven't finished developing yet. So there's probably two sides to the coin. You either keep it at 18 and be more open to mature ages, or you bump it up, you know, to 19 or even 20, um, which you know gives everyone basically one shot at at, at the title. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the next five five years or so. Yeah, you you're definitely right, and I think AFL is one of the few games in the world where you. You're drafting kids and bringing them into the system not to impact immediately, but on what they might become. It's still a very speculative process. So I definitely agree with your point about, say, key position players who often take four or five years to develop, and we're drafting them based on really speculation instead of hardcore performance because really none of these guys, when they're 17, are able to play state league football. They're just simply not good enough. They're too raw. So it is a very speculative process and extending it by a year would make it a bit less speculative. Just look at Nathan Fife. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That said, I was uh, I was speaking to someone the other day who was pretty involved in South Fremantle and he was telling me that everyone in um in the Western Australian system, the players and the and the coaches, they all had Fife as by far the second best talent in that draft behind, uh, I think it was Morabito. WA, but there were like blokes like Kane Lucas who went ahead of him, and apparently everyone in WA thought that the recruiters were clueless because they didn't they waited till 21 to pick five. So it's interesting, really. It seems as if on five there was a massive divide between what recruiters thought 
and what his fellow players and all that thought. Do you think recruiting is a bit still Vic-centric in that regard? I mean, if Fife had been in, in the Victorian system, do you think that would have occurred? I don't think it would have. I do think you're right there. I think most uh, head recruiters are based in Victoria or at least spend a lot of their time focusing on Victoria. So it's obviously easier to form a judgment. The uh, the TAC system, they they develop players not to be good at the moment, but to uh, be good in the future. That's kind of the way they do things. You look at last year when South Australia won the championships and Vic Metro came second, and yet, what was it? Vic Metro had seven top 10 or 15 draftees and South Australia had two or something because South Australia's players were considered more ready-made and had less scope to develop in the AFL, which is probably right. We do develop players to win. I know the uh, South Australian coach, he plays the side to win, whereas the big Metro system, they, they like to play players to show off their talents. So it's an interesting one. I think the Victorian system is designed to more develop talent and we're designed to win. So I can understand why they look towards uh, look towards Victoria a bit more, especially given if you look back over the last 10 drafts, South Australia really haven't produced that much top-line talent. It's just unfortunate, but it's true. I mean, Ryan Griffin's probably the best player we've produced in 10 years. It's a really good point that you just made there. I've, obviously, I've had some experience with the system with my own kid and um, certainly at his SA NFL club, um, they sacrificed three or four kids in order to win games and a lot of people, including myself at the time, strongly disagreed with that because it wasn't doing anything for their development and it showed in that a lot of those lads didn't even go on to play you know SANFL um, you know first league first team uh, games so it's something that I think that we need to look at in our system um, but then again you could argue that the SANFL clubs are developing kids for the SANFL so yeah, exactly. uh, you know again it's a structural issue oh, I definitely agree with that I mean you look this year there's an example of a kid called uh, Kieran Agius. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's, uh, I think he's an Indigenous yeah. kid. He was in the uh, academy, so the 30 best talents of the, uh, of the country earlier in the year. He's a very flashy Indigenous player. Great kick, really quick. Kicks bags of goals for fun, but he doesn't have a defensive work rate. So he was picked in one or two of the champions, champs games and then kind of cast aside because of the flaws in his game. And this is a kid who is extremely talented. But in the Victorian system, he would have been kept and they would have persisted with him and tried to ensure that he got to show off his talent. So it looks like Aegis on draft day will probably go late or in the rookie. But in the Victorian system, he would have been given every opportunity to show himself because he's got so much talent. So would you say that someone like a Cameron Ellis Yolman has been a victim of that development process, and which is probably why it's taken him a few more years um, to get to a point where he's AFL ready? Uh, Knee injury didn't help. Well, yeah, that too, obviously. I mean, Ellis Yolwin's an interesting one. I don't think he's a victim of the system. You look at um, those big-bodied inside midfielders, and a lot of them do take kind of four or five years to really hit their straps. I know uh, you look at like Josh P. Kennedy as an example from Sydney, and he's uh, he took really six or seven years to become elite. I think Ellis Yolwin's much the same. 
those kind of big bodies, they take a while to learn how to use their body. Uh, Ellis Yolman, in a lot of ways, wasn't a very South Australian player because he was a project, and we don't normally really harness those projects. I think he was a great pick at the time, but uh, Rendell was stoked to get him. It, so in terms of um, coming up with a phantom draft, what what sort of things do you consider when you're trying to come up with your top 10? Do you work completely insular, like you don't take advantage, take notice of what other people are saying or, you know, how do you go about it? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of question. I know some people like to play off others. I know others like to really try and avoid looking at anyone else's work. And I think the, uh, the balance lies in the middle. I think if you if you draw too much off other people's work, you risk kind of losing your own individuality. But if you are if you keep to yourself, you miss you kind of risk missing players that you can't that you might not have noticed. I know occasionally I've kind of been tipped off to a player that I hadn't really noticed. And then once I was tipped off, you have a look at him and you go, Oh no, this guy's actually really quite good. So uh it's it's certainly interesting. Yeah. I personally prefer to try and keep to myself, but have a quick read of what others are doing just so I don't miss anything. Because I feel like if you, otherwise you get a bit of a group think forming, which I think is already forming around the internet, kind of the same players seem to be rated by everyone. And if you look at clubs, for example, I doubt they'd have the same players at the top of their boards. Michael Hartley from Coburg is an interesting one this year. Uh, the rumor was we were going to take him last year, but, um, Apparently Richmond are quite interested in him and our interest has been rekindled. Um, I wonder what will happen there because maybe a few clubs might be into him. Too. Yeah, he's a really interesting player. Um, I think the consensus was that Collingwood got rid of him way too early. He's had a really rough run with injuries and uh, Collingwood kind of got rid of him partially based on that. I know now he uh, he's had some surgery over the off-season and now he's fit again for the first time in a long time which I think will definitely go some way to rekindling the interest from clubs. Um, yeah, your six-foot-six six defenders, they don't grow on trees. I, I haven't seen that much of Hartley, but everything I've heard is, is really quite good. So I'd certainly be interested in having a closer look at him and seeing if, if we get on him because we definitely need one of those bigger defenders. On that, what do you think – Adelaide's going to possibly be looking for out of the draft, um, considering how much of a closed shop our club is. It's very hard to to figure out. But what do you think, looking at the profile of our list we've got at the moment, and where do you th- um, and and what you've looked at in the draft? What do you think we're likely to? Or are there any players that you've heard that might be a possibility? Yeah, you're certainly right about Adelaide being a closed shop. It's a uh, definitely change from the past but uh, I, I certainly think we need more composed ball users I think we've got blokes who win the ball we don't have blokes who can use the ball especially under pressure which is why I'm a I'm a massive fan of making a play at Matthew Scharenberg I think he's exactly what we need but we also need blokes who have speed kind of breaking the lines and using that ball providing our forwards with with kind of good um Sorry, kicking the ball into our forwards really well. We've got an excellent forward line, but they don't get the best supply. I've heard others suggest that we need another key forward. I'm not too sure about that. I think Jenkins is excellent. Young Harry Deer seems to be progressing pretty well. I'd probably avoid taking a key forward 
Yeah. And there's a certain McGovern. Yeah, a certain McGovern. I'm I'm not particularly sold on McGovern yet. He he's uh he's the equivalent of a third year in age. So you'd want him to be making the team pretty soon. Because if he goes into next year, he'd be a fourth year player who hasn't played an AFL game yet. But um and also I think McGovern's more of a third tall forward. So I guess if we lose Lynch to Melbourne, McGovern's a great fit for that role. But yeah, I, I certainly think we need um we need speed and we need good ball users, of which there are a few in this draft. Blokes like um, Calamarchi from Western Australia, um, Darcy Parrish from Big Country, who's perhaps a bit too good for us. He might go a bit earlier. Um, Riley Bonner is a West Adelaide kid who's a very good ball user off both feet. And uh, Wayne Malira from Centrals is my personal favourite. Kicked uh, five goals in the SNFL last week and had 24 touches as an outside midfielder. So he might be there around our pick if we keep it. Nice. There's some names I hadn't heard before. Yeah, there's a lot of talent in South Australia yeah. this year. Strange. Last year we won, but we didn't have as many draftable players. Whereas this year we came third, I think. But you're probably going to find more South Australian blokes taken in the top 20 to 25. Have you got an, a view on the um, proposal regarding um, Indigenous zones? Yeah, I, I haven't looked into it that much. I'm, I'm hesitant to, to make an, a kind of make an assessment without looking at the facts. But if I had to make a call, I'd definitely support it for now. The issue is that these kids have a lot of trouble acclimatising. So the blokes who come from these Indigenous communities, they often either don't want to leave or really can't adjust. And I'm not sure if an academy will be able to fix that. If you want them to be able to adjust, as we see with someone like Cyril Rioli, you've got to get them into a kind of a metro kind of city system when they're still a teenager, not when they're 18, 19. You want them in at 14 or 15. I know uh, there are some Northern Territory players at the moment who are moving to the city now when they're kind of 15 or 16. I think North Ballarat have quite a few in the TAC Cup. Um there's a bloke called Jamie Hampton who's going to be around next year as a draftee. He's uh, Curly Hampton's brother, and uh, he's come over to Emmanuel College this year. So I think that, that's kind of what we need to be doing. We need to be getting them into the city earlier while they're still developing so they can adjust. But if we wait until they're 18, 19, 20, they're often far too kind of attached to their community to be able to make the transition well, which is why we see a lot of them leaving the game, unfortunately. Charlie Cameron's another one who was, um, he was in boarding school as well from a, a teenager. So even though his parents were working up on a remote community, um, I think in Western Australia, they sent him down to Perth um, to board down there. And that, But I also think what we've seen with his development is you also need them once within a club, they need those Indigenous leaders within the club. So we've got Eddie and um, Andrew McLeod doing a lot of work with those guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, gr- it's a great point, I think. It certainly makes them feel more comfortable and helps the transition. So we, we've got to really – the best way to almost fix the problem is to start drafting more Indigenous players, if that makes sense. So I, I certainly agree with you there. Well, mate, we could probably um, talk about this all night, but uh, unfortunately um, we don't hold people's attention for that long. <laughs> 
So, but we'd, you know, without uh, putting it across the panel, we'd uh, love you have love to have you back sometime around um, uh, trade time, draft time, uh, to get your thoughts. It'd be fascinating to have a a dedicated session. I reckon just on, just on this topic. Yeah, I'd certainly love to come back. Certainly enjoyed it so far tonight. It's, instead of trade radio, it'll be Crowcast Trade Radio. We'd knock Hutchins and Hutchinson and all that off their off their trees. Sounds good. We actually might have we might have some better um, information than what they do. Yeah, they're they're not well known for their. Well, turn Skipos and the stats man, who I think is still asleep. Dan, is he awake? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very very interesting stuff. <laughs> Just whenever you're ready, chime in, mate. It's all good. I tried to a couple of times. <laughs> well, we'll finish off, mate, just with a couple of um, traditional um, board talk questions. So uh, we can put put away the serious face now and answer some strange questions that have no relevance to anything. Um, first of all, you probably noticed the uh, ongoing love affair that that uh, Big Fella has with uh, Danny Minogue. So our He's opening, Our opening question is: uh, Would you rather Kylie or Danny? I'll say both. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, well, there we go. No, you've got to make a choice. Oh, I think you've got to go with Kylie, don't you? Absolutely. Great answer. Absolutely. Now, mate, uh, you're not old enough to remember, but you might have seen a few duffel coats from some of the oldies at the, at the SANFL. If you had a duffel coat, whose number would you put on the back of it and why? Oh, that's a... That's a good question. God, I've uh, I've never really thought about it like that. Probably Brad Crouch. Love a good bit of Brad Crouch. Very good. Um, oh, I always forget the questions. What's the next question, Nikki? <laughs> you always ask me if I know what it is. I thought you had it written down, Phoenix, so I haven't been thinking about what they are. <laughs> <laughs> I did, but I've lost a bit of paper since we've started again. Uh, danger. That's yeah. right. What, what's your thoughts on Danger? Is he staying or going? I think he's gone. I don't want to, but Boo. I, th- I think he might be gone. And if he does go, nothing but love. He's given us so much service. I think he's earned the right to to go with goodwill from us. Soft. Hey, <laughs> Now, one of the other questions is if anybody from the board um, that you could have a beer with, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a that's a tough question. I, I don't really kind of get involved in much of the board stuff as, as much as I'd like. I kind of spend more time in the draft board. So I'd, uh, I know there are some blokes on Twitter who I, who I enjoy bantering with, who I know frequent the board. So I'd probably, uh, probably go for the blokes who – I've got on Twitter, I think Houston is one of them, who's a bit of a lower profile poster on the board. I quite enjoy chatting with him, so I'm going to go with uh, Houston. There you go. And finally, oh, shit, I had it too. What was it? Ladder. That's right. Um, Are we going to make the eight? Oh, yeah, of course we are. So does that mean we win this week or next week? I think Geelong is this week. Why not both? So you think Geelong's going to lose this week? So we could we could lose both. I, th- I think if uh, Geelong lose this week, it makes things a lot easier. 
I suspect they might kind of take it out of our hands. Collingwood are a far better team than they performed. They're eventually going to uh, going to come back and and prove that. So why not this week? Yeah, I, they're going to bounce back after that shocker and Pendle's comments and. And they got please, slammed. Yes, I would. I wouldn't mind betting you. I'm I'm on your train actually, Skipper. So I reckon Collingwood might just get up. And that'd be that'd be great, wouldn't it? Well, that seals it for us then. We don't have to do anything. Exactly. I would, I'd still like our team to turn up and play well. Well, it's been fascinating talking with you, mate. Um, as I said, I wish we could have you on for longer, but um, book us in for around trade time and uh, we'll have you on and we'll have a dedicated trade draft um, crowcast and it would be great to have you on board. So um, all the best and thanks very much for your time. No worries, lads. it been a pleasure being on. Thanks, Skipos. Thanks, Skipos. Yeah, good to talk to you, mate. And on that note, I reckon we should wind it up. Um, we're all uh, on the bandwagon this week for a Crows win against West Coast, which would see us into the finals um, for the first time in a couple of years. And uh, that's just a monumental achievement for the club to even be in this position. So um, good luck to everyone on the weekend. I'll be there. I'll be there. Tenos can't press his button and snore at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Already talking, Daniels. Come on. Just press it like this. Just do it. Stop it. All right, right. This is generating. So uh, let's sign off, eh? So um, thanks, guys, for your time tonight and and um, your thoughts on everything. And um, we'll see you at the footy. Good evening, Phoenix. See you, Phoenix. <laughs> see you, guys. to Crowcast brought to you by Casmar Event Technologies for all your live production and studio recording needs. Wake up, Danos. Danos.